Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Christina Holsweiss is the ed tech specialist with Library Learning Commons team. She is a high school ed tech librarian in Long Island, New York, and was previously a middle school English teacher. Christina was named the School Library Journal Librarian of the Year, a National School Board 20 to Watch, Emerging Education Technology Leader, and a Library Journal Mover and Shaker. She is also the winner of the NiceGate. Is that my yes. saying that right, Christina? Yeah, NiceGate, right? The NiceGate Lee Bryant Outstanding Teacher Award and the Long Island Technology Summit, Fred Podolsky. You know what? I'm going to start over again. I'm sorry. So it's <laughs> NiceGate, Fred Podolsky. What else is in here? Okay, I thought I had it all, but okay, starting again. <laughs> Christina Holsweiss is the EdTech Specialist with the Library Learning Commons team. She is a high school ed tech librarian in Long Island, New York, and was previously a middle school English teacher. Christina was named the School Library Journal Librarian of the Year, a National School Board 20 to Watch Emerging Education Technology Leader, and a Library Journal Mover and Shaker. She is also the winner of the NiceGate Lee Bryant Outstanding Teacher Award and the Long Island Technology Summit Fred Podolsky Leadership and Innovation Award. She's also an international speaker on libraries, technology, and making, and has presented at many conferences and worked with educators around the world. Christina has been working on many other projects, and we are going to ask her about some of them. And you might have guessed this, but Christina comes to us as part of our partnership with Reinvented Magazine and the Princesses with Power Tools calendar. Welcome to the Hazard Girls podcast, Christina. Thank you so much for having me. Well, congrats on all of your awards. I, I I think I left some of them out. There were so many. And of course, um, on your feature as a princess in the Princesses with Power Tools calendar. So the, the calendar is all about showcasing real life women in STEM fields and trades and showing young people that you don't have to choose to be a princess or an engineer, for example, you can be both. And you're a librarian, which stereotypically we sometimes might think of this as a female dominated field, right? So can you talk to us about the STEM aspects of your job a little bit? Well, you know, the librarian field is predominantly women, and we're trying to break out into the diversity, and we're trying mm -hmm. to get more people into the field. But mm -hmm. as a librarian and ed tech specialist, I also teach our news production class, which we are using technology and cameras. And if you know, in the industry, a mm -hmm. lot of film uh, and radio and multimedia is predominantly male. So mm -hmm. that is science and that is technology. Also, in my 
Innovation Lab, we do a lot of making, hands-on making. I support teachers with technology and coding. So I'm not uh, maybe a, a librarian full-time, but I do use a lot of my library, uh, my background, my English teaching background, but also I'm inspiring kids in my class uh, and the other classes that come to use technology. Um, so, and, and if you notice in the Princesses with Power Tools calendar, I am dressed as a Batgirl. Now, if you remember the old TV show, Batgirl was a librarian. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's why I chose Batgirl. Good one. Okay. I, so this is the old TV show from when, the 70s? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I do remember it. <laughs> Very cool. I've seen that. So, okay. So that's why you chose. All right, we'll talk a little bit more about the, the calendar because I, I need to, I have a few questions about that. But, um, okay. So, so you're actually you are in the tech world, even though you're also a librarian. So it's really the, combining these two things. The kids must be so inspired. What what age do you teach? Uh, right now I, I teach high school. I taught uh -huh. middle school for 23 years. And as a middle school librarian, I brought in a makerspace into my library. So my idea was to give opportunities to kids of all abilities and all ethnicities and all gender identities, the mm -hmm. ability to use robotics and coding. So when the kids came to the, my library, those kids who like to read, I was hoping that they would get some coding or robotics or other STEM related ideas. And kids who like using robots and uh, uh, visual, you know, like the cameras and the iPads, I was hoping that they would read. So my, my idea and my goal is twofold, to inspire literacy and to inspire making, hands-on and digital. I think it's such, it's doing such a service to the STEM field and to students to explain to them and to, to inspire them to realize that technology and STEM and making are so interconnected and often one could be one in the same, depending on what you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. And you know what? Um, I, I think a lot of kids when they're they're already in the classes, but I was trying in my library to inspire those kids to take electives. In mm -hmm. middle school, it's that rough time, you know, that teenage angst. Um, they really, you know, they love elementary school, they know high school, they're going to college, and that middle ground is such a time where they're trying to explore their own feelings and social relationships. And sometimes kids don't know about other fields. And I feel mm -hmm. like I was trying to give them a, a place where they can play and learn and not have to worry about grades, not have to worry about stereotypes, and hopefully inspire them because a lot of my kids didn't have robots and coding at home. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to inspire them to pursue those fields, even in high school, to take those electives. And I think that's where it begins. Yeah. So when they come to the library, it's and they're maybe they're there because they wanted to read or they wanted to, they're interested in some books and they were looking for them. They encountered other things. They encountered robotics and coding and STEM. And instead of feeling maybe if they were in a group that wasn't typically associated with those things, maybe the club at the school is mostly boys, for example. They are now they're in an environment where it doesn't matter. Is that what, what you're saying? Exactly. And I think a lot of a lot of schools rely on um, gifted education for students with higher IQs, a higher, you know, who, te who te test very well. But now I think we're becoming more uh, 
uh, more in the lines of equity, thinking of accessibility for all students. So the mm -hmm. library, we are visited by all students, all ability levels, all grade levels, all ethnicities, different languages, and we are like the level playing ground for all students. And so that's why I was trying to do that in my library so all students could could feel, oh, you know what, I might be able to do this later on. I, I think I'm going to try this out. And it's, you know, it's so effective. I know it must be because when I interview tons of women for the podcast in the different STEM fields, a lot of times I'll ask them, how did you first learn about this topic? How did you know you were interested in it? When did you first discover it? So many of them tell me about one one teacher or one weekend of camp, a camp program that they got to do for two days. And that changed the whole course of their journey. So I'm sure so many, so many students are becoming inspired and discovering STEM through your program. Is this um now is this something that is still you you started it when? When did you start this? Um I started that in about 2009 in my library. I mean, I started with yogurt containers. I started with bottle caps. I started whatever I could find around the house. And then I raised money, raised money until I can get 3D printers and iPads and virtual reality and robotics. Um, I did leave that, that uh, middle school in 2018. And now I'm in a very competitive high school. So the high school where I teach at, they already have drones and robotics, mm -hmm. artificial intelligence. They have wonderful programs. So in my innovation lab, I help all teachers, not only to help them with their students, but also their students as well. But I will assist teachers who teach life skills, special education, uh, English language learners, world languages. Right now I'm working with uh, two teachers who are teaching how to code and using the Mickey Mickey. So right now my innovation lab is full of cardboard and uh, glue guns and all these fun things. And the kids are actually, uh, they're coding, but they're also making with their hands, which I think is so important. You, I saw that in your bio that you're Mickey Mickey certified. What is that? Mickey Mickey is a very small uh, a, a computer. It's almost like an Arduino that you could hook up to your computer and the little touches turn into other things. So literally today I had a student make out of cardboard a car. He had the accelerator and he had the brake pedals and then he had a steering wheel and they were hooked up to this Mickey Mickey and that Mickey Mickey was hooked up to the computer. It's like the interface and through scratch he was able to drive this cardboard box and play a game on the computer. Wow. Is, so does it actually does it actually change the shape of the box like a 3D printer? No, it's actually this little format where the all the instead of using a mouse or your space bar, it actually uses whatever you're making because you're hooking it up with alligator clips and mm -hmm. you're learning about conductivity. And so the kids are learning how to code, but they're also learning to problem solve in the real world because a lot of kids they're into coding, but then they're on the screen and they can debug and they can do all these th wonderful things, but they're not thinking about the end user. And I think Steve Jobs was brilliant. He always thought about the end user and how his uh, technology could change the world and help other people. So now these students are using all these sustainable um, elements, uh, the cardboard, uh, they're using aluminum foil, they're using really low tech items mm -hmm. and coupling that with the coding. So it really shows them how coding becomes this three-dimensional concept. 
So interesting. Now, in 2015, you founded SLIME, it's called SLIME, Students of Long Island Maker Expo. Is that, <laughs> is that affiliated with your previous school? Well, tell us about SLIME. And yeah. I love the word, I love the name SLIME. I can't <laughs> Thank you. It reminds, it reminds me of like a big bucket of slime. So. <laughs> um, well, for three years, uh, I put on this event and it was twice in my high school, uh, my middle school, mm -hmm. sorry. And the final year was uh, I rented our local museum. It's called the Cradle of Aviation because mm -hmm. Long Island literally is the Cradle of Aviation. Charles Lindbergh flew from here. We have Grumman. Yeah, it's, it's a really, really important museum. So I rented that out and I put on this uh, almost like a Maker Faire, but at the time, Maker Faire would not allow a multi-school Maker Faire. It was either a Maker Faire or a one-school Maker Faire. And I wanted to create a hybrid where all schools could come and they could make. So it took place at my middle school twice. And then we went to the Cradle of Aviation and we had about 800 children and their parents from all over Long Island attend this slime event. We had a charity pitch fest where students pitched their favorite charity and my local uh, library or association donated money for those students to donate to their own charities. We had uh, robotics, we had hands on learning and, and we made slime. <laughs> and we had lots of fun. <laughs> and we even had the first two years we had a, a trash to fashion show where they where the kids went on stage literally making outfits with starburst wrappers and potato chip wrappers and capri sun wrappers and it was amazing because it showed students you don't need to have a lot of money to make things and to be innovative and creative and also we need to think about sustainability and not just buy 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 and consumers we need to be makers yeah so what's the connection between you know, the idea of creating maker spaces and encouraging makers and libraries in general. I know that what you did in your program, is this something that is being implemented around the country on different levels or, or is it something that should be? It is definitely all around the country. Um, some school libraries have it, some do not. Um, but think about when you were a child, when you went to your public library and you went to story time and after story time, you colored a picture or you create some um, origami, or you play with Lego. The maker movement has always been in public libraries. So school librarians are doing the same thing as well, but it's nothing new. We've been, we, it's always been at the beginning. It's a story time and a craft, a story time and a Lego, and, mm -hmm. and building literacy with making. So it's nothing new. And you talked a little bit about how, you know, how important it is to support diversity and inclusion in libraries because a lot of times kids might come in having felt excluded somewhere else, but you want them to feel welcome in a library. What are some ways libraries can support uh, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility? Well, for one, not just having print books. We should have audio books. We should have e-books. We should have mm -hmm. books in diverse languages. And we also, we should have um, we should have books that reflect the children's you know own cultures and values and free, reflect the society. And also, so it's offering windows and mirrors and sliding glass doors to the world outside and the world within ourselves. So giving kids uh, a taste of what the world is like outside. 
Um, and so one, one student came to the library and we we're working on micro bits, which are very small little mini computers, and mm -hmm. they were coding them and they were making a true false game. And it was very easy. They were going on the website, they were copying the code, drag and drop. And the next thing I know, I go over to his computer and his answers of the true and false he had in Spanish. He had taken the code and written it in coding language, but the answers and the responses, had, he, he was an English language learner. And so mm -hmm. he had written them in Spanish. So again, offering students um, robotics, offering them crafts, offering them iPads, color coding things, writing things in different languages to make it equitable for all of our students. We have, I have students in my news production class who uh, some are learning disabled, um, one is visually impaired. So really being cognizant of what kind of things you need to purchase for your library program or schools in general to make it more equitable for all students to participate in these awesome activities. You know, I think it's wonderful that there's all these programs now and something that I've always wondered, well, my kids are 12 and nine now. So when they were, more when they were toddlers, um, this was an issue for me. And I'm just curious how you feel about this. A lot of the books that from when I was a kid that my, that their grandparents still have around the house and then they go over there and read, they're very, um, maybe they're focused maybe on mostly boys as the main characters. Um, there's not a lot of diversity in the books because they were written a while ago. How do you balance that? Do you don't, do you remove the books from the library? Do you, do you make sure you're constantly having discussions about it? What's the answer to that? Well, again, that's a really great question. So as I said, Dr. Rudin Sims Bishop had talked about windows, mirrors, and sliding glass doors, mm -hmm. but there there really needs to be weeding. And people don't understand. They say, oh my gosh, you're throwing out a book. Well, when the book has misinformation mm -hmm. or stereotypes that are harmful for children mm -hmm. or damaged, they need to be removed. And people will say, oh my gosh, it's a book. Well, when literally I had a book on my shelf in my library that said what the astronauts will do on the moon, mm -hmm. will do, future tense, that needs to be weeded. A book that has information about science, technology, maybe we keep a few just to show what, you know, as an archive, what people yeah. had learned back then. But certainly that kind of book does not belong on our shelves for reference. I had How to Train Pigeons. I had books of writing pen pal letters to Princess Diana. I said, right. these books, these books do not belong. And especially you need to make sure that there's stereotypes. You need to make sure that there's a balance that there. And, and you know what? There is more of a balance now. People are mm -hmm. understanding this. They're making, uh, they're making story, stories. They're publishing books that have more diverse characters in them. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and they're being more, more um, cognizant of that. You know, people, some people are traditionalists. Oh, these are classics. Okay, some of them are classics, but some of them are inappropriate, and they were inappropriate, uh, and they're especially inappropriate right now, and those need to go. They definitely need to go. And there's a problem right now that people are uh, voicing their opinions about banning books, and students need, the society has changed. Mm -hmm. Society has changed, and students need to learn about people around them. Um, and if we just take books off the shelf and say, oh, you know, you can't read that. Well, what are we saying about those 
those people who are in those books who are being marginalized? What are we saying about their lifestyles? What are they saying about their values? If we're saying, well, we're going to take them off the shelf because we don't believe in what they believe in. Well, can you give an example of what, what type of book? Well, there are some communities that are taking books off the shelf and they're banning books with LGBTQ themes mm -hmm. in them. And they're taking them, you know what? There are people who have two moms. There are people who are raised by two dads. There are interracial families. There are all kinds of families and we need to understand that. And what about that one child who needs that book or the two children or the three children who need that book, who need to understand? And what's it say to that classmate if that book is banned and that mm -hmm. book is removed off the shelf because you know, uh, maybe Johnny has two dads, but we're not gonna have the book about two dads on the shelf. What's it say about that child? Yeah. No, I think the fact that libraries are now making a point of bringing not only, you know, not only keeping books on the shelf, but bringing more in, um, you know, how, how can we encourage libraries around the country to bring in more diverse books and to support maybe more independent authors who are pursuing these kind of projects? You know, I think it's, you know, a lot of librarians are trying to do this, but some of the communities people don't quite understand the importance of it. So I really think it is um, understanding, it is conversations, it is discussions, it's being open-minded, uh, maybe uh, attending uh, some workshops. A lot of it has to do with the community. Librarians are trying to do the best for our students. We're trying to help them understand the world around them. We're trying to help them understand how to think critically and mm -hmm. how to see the difference between a uh, fake news and real news, how to understand uh, using all the tools that they have. So I think most of it is supporting librarians, understanding that they have gone to school, they have read and, and they've been they've been uh, trained in how to create book collections, they read reviews, they read the books themselves. Some people just uh, want requesting book bans and they even haven't even read the books. They just heard from a friend that there's something in the book that's inappropriate, but they have not read the book in its entirety. Mm -hmm. So actually, this is probably a good time to ask you about the books that you've written because you're an author and you've written a list of books here. There's a couple of series, I think, and then you've, you've also got some co-author credits. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, the first, well, let's, let's ask you, I want to ask you about each one. The first series is my first book series. Uh, those are the, the ones I just recently wrote were my first book of trains and my first mm -hmm. book of airplanes. Um, mm -hmm. And their books, uh, they're transportation books for kids. So they were a mm -hmm. lot of fun to write, especially because of uh, the, the strong aviation background on Long Island and because of Long Island Railroad um, is one of the is actually I think the largest online in in the United States and that's where I live so those mm -hmm. were fun to write the makerspace books were actually written uh, for Scholastic because uh, Scholastic was supporting the school librarian of the year award and so they asked me to write those books because they knew I was a maker librarian so what, are those children's books, the makerspace books? Yeah, all of those are children's books. The trains, the planes, and the making books are all for kids. Some books are grades two through three, and some are three through five. And actually, uh, my sister was the photographer of many of those books, and my son is actually, his hands are in the book making those 
making the activities. He and was the hand actor. <laughs> he was the hand actor. That's right. <laughs> and um, one day they they moved all the scholastic came to my library. They moved all the furniture out, and the photographers came and they did full body shots and you know and waist up shots of mm -hmm. my children and their friends. And and I told my my kids that's how we're going to Disney. <laughs> so <laughs> so the 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 stifling that frame came from the books went to going to our Disney trip. <laughs> I love that. It's a very concrete reward. <laughs> yes, yes, they helped me out. So then that was their reward to go to Disney. Um, and then the other book, The Hacking School Libraries, is actually a book for school librarians and other people who work in the library, such as library aides or assistants who might not have uh, familiarity on how to run a school library. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, and, and that's the book that you were co-author on, right? Yes. So you've done, you're doing so many things. You have so many projects going on. Uh, what would you say is your, the most rewarding thing about what you do? Oh, you know what? It may be just a little thing, but whenever a student says, you know, I couldn't figure it out, and then I figured it out, I'm so happy. And I have kids as young as in middle school and even high school just watching them work through a problem and mm -hmm. developing that grit and that growth mindset that persistence because it's not what the technology that they're working on it's not the content it's that kind of internal persistence and that stick to and determination mm -hmm. that's going to help them succeed in the future whatever field they're in they could be a programmer they could be a plumber mm -hmm. it, it doesn't matter they could be a physician they could be a fireman it doesn't matter what they're going to do but if they they have that determination inside them that will help them. So we, we cannot stop the episode without talking about the princesses with power tools calendar. <laughs> I like, <laughs> leave some time for that. Um, so you mentioned already that your character in the book is is uh, inspired by Batgirl, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And since she was a librarian in the old TV show. <laughs> Um, so tell us about the experience. How, how did you, how did you do the photo shoot? Well, um, I had to find out my, okay, I had to find my own costume and purple is my favorite color. So that was just <laughs> perfect. They get the purple cape. Um, and so my sister does photographer, uh, photography yeah. on the side. So we went to my local library and I asked, can we take photos in the teen room? So <laughs> we went downstairs in the teen room and I, in the, in the photo, I'm, holding a, a camera because I teach news production, but I'm also holding The Giver by Lois Lowry, which is my favorite book. And when I taught English, I taught lo that book, The Giver, and I met Lois Lowry and it's just a fabulous book mm -hmm. and it's very deep, but it has been challenged and banned in some places. So that's my statement about um, that we should be able to, you know, students should be able to read and learn and discuss. So I, I'm holding the book, I'm holding the, the camera. And it, again, that day, there was actually a teen event going on. And afterwards, I had a few girls ask me to take a picture with them because they liked my cosplay outfit. <laughs> so I said, okay, so now I know I have a cosplay outfit. <laughs> Okay, so I, I want to know what your reaction, the reaction has been of your family, but also of the students that you teach. What did they think? 
Well, it's really funny because I had the calendar hanging up in my innovation lab and I had funny story. I had these really cool hot glue guns with these, like with these batteries in them and their kids are using the hot glue guns and they're using all these tools. And it's so fun to see girls with hot glue guns and just getting <laughs> their hands dirty and just making. And so I, I grabbed the calendar and I brought, brought it over to one student who had a hot glue gun. And I went to the calendar. I said, look at the, all these other people. Look at all these women. And she went, oh, that's really cool. And then she looked at me and she realized I was July. <laughs> and she like looked at me <laughs> and she's like, wait, that's you. I'm like, yeah, that's me. But look <laughs> at all these other great women here. And, yeah. and all of them are so fantastic. Oh, that's, I love that. <laughs> they, must, they must be like, and what are, what are your, what does your family think? Oh, my family thinks, you know, it's one of another, one of those things that Chris does. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's a, just another one of those things. Yeah, it um, seems like you have a lot of projects. <laughs> a lot of projects, but they know that I love, I'm passionate about making. They know I'm passionate about promoting STEM education and, again, school libraries and education in general, how it is the great equalizer for everyone uh, because you never know who's going to be in your class and who you're going to inspire mm -hmm. to do something that they've never even dreamed of before. It's so true. All right, what's next for you? What are your plans? What are my plans? Well, I'm working on, I'm actually working on a planner right now. Um, it's a second version of a planner. It's a, it's a, like a calendar planner, a teacher planner for librarians, strictly for librarians. And it shows you how to organize and it gives tips. So the last version had tips all for me, one tip a week. And now this time I'm inviting 51 other school librarians to offer their expertise and their tips in this planner. So that's what the project is right now. And I plan on, in June, I'm going to the ISTE conference, which is the International Society of Technology and Educated, uh, Education. And I highly recommend it, whether you're in education or not, to attend this conference. You'll learn so much. Where is it? It will be in Philly this year. Oh, I'm in Philly. You're in Philly? Oh, then you must go. I have to. I'm going to write this down. Okay, after, after yes, you have to call, I have to get the Yes, it's at the end of June. You're going to absolutely love it. Oh, that's so cool. All right. Well, what if what would be your message to listeners who are thinking about getting into STEM, or they have they have children they want to encourage into STEM? What would be your you know your takeaway that you really want to share about it? It's never too late. Mm -hmm. When I went to college, I was going to be a computer science minor. I took two classes of Pascal. And I walked away. I said, I, I can't do this because I didn't have I didn't grow up with computers. The only computer class that was offered in my high school, I could not take because I didn't have time in my schedule. I literally went to summer school to take this computer class on my own because I wanted to learn so much. So I did not have enough of a background. Mm -hmm. So I really wanted to be a computer science minor. So I was an English major <laughs> and a Spanish minor. Years and years later, out comes Hour of Code. I learned to code with my students. In order to help them with Hour of Code, I felt I learned, I need to learn how to do it on my own. So every puzzle that they went through, I did as well so I could help them. And then I over 
COVID, I was able to become Makey Makey certified. I met educators all over the world. We did it uh, virtually. And I also became Raspberry Pi certified in 2018. And that's very similar to a Makey Makey, but we actually went to uh, a museum uh, in, in New Jersey and all of us educators did some hands-on making. So it was some time later, I won't tell you how many years later, but some time later that I actually realized the dreams that I had of becoming certified in computers, maybe not a full certification, but those little pieces that I had learned. And, you know, that that person who I was years ago who wanted to be a computer science minor, that person is still inside me. And I use that passion every day. Um, again, it was too early for me at the time. I didn't have the background keep going, be persistent. It's never too late to learn. I love that. I so agree with that. Now, Christina, where can our listeners find you? Do you have a website? Tell us about your Instagram. So my website, I have two websites. One is christinahulsweiss.com and that's mostly my books. And the other one is a, a play on words. It's called Bunhead with duct tape because <laughs> traditionally school librarians, we think of as the bunheads, you know, <laughs> with the cat eye glasses and duct tape fixes everything. So I'm a maker librarian. And I literally went to a conference recently and I had a roll of duct tape in my backpack. <laughs> so Bunhead with duct tape, christinahulsweiss.com and they can catch me. Uh, you can my uh, Instagram, TikTok, uh, mostly Twitter. It's librarian, L-I-E-B-E-R-R-I-A-N, because the kids never say librarian correctly. Yeah, that's so cute. <laughs> Library. Librarian. librarian. <laughs> <laughs> Christina Halsweitz, a tech specialist with the Library Learning Commons team, and so much more. Author, uh, Princesses with Power Tools, July a Princess. Yep. We're so happy to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.